You're listening to the Business as Usual podcast, your weekly discussion of all things business, finance, and personal finance. And now, here's your host, Jason Hughes. Hey guys, and welcome to the Business as Usual podcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here as usual with Matt. Matt, how are you this week? Yeah, good. I uh, actually got into trading again for the first time in like six months. Yeah. Um, I did that on Friday. Yeah. Uh, I think I lost like 35 bucks, which is, <laughs> which is pretty good. It's not too bad. No, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I pretty much call that flat for the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was good. I was apprehensive to place sort of any large trades and it kind of like kept me out of a lot. Um, but it was still good to watch the market for the entire day and just sort of get back into the swing of things. Yeah, did you trade all day or just the open or? No, I traded all day. Fridays I have okay. off. So yeah. The, the plan is uh, going forward now that I've sort of sorted out uh, some sort of relatively stable internet is to trade yep. the open for Monday to Thursday. Yep. Up until 11. And we'll see how that goes because I'm actually pretty terrible at trading the open. I usually do momentum-based trades over hours. Yep. Um, and then Fridays I'll trade all day. Okay. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. How was your week? Uh, uh, pretty good. Um, finished my last exam on Wednesday. Yep. Um, so I've just been sort of like decompressing from the semester. Yeah. And like feeling really weird when I get home. I'm like, I don't have to do anything. I can sit on the couch and watch Netflix. And <laughs> 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 that's totally okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did some trading as well. Um, oh, I've been tra- trading Forex um, and just getting, like positions are still pretty small, Yeah. but like just getting comfortable again. Um, I'm still like, my trades are, my trades tend to move the right direction, but my entries are pretty sloppy. Okay. So yep. like I keep, like because the Forex markets are not very volatile. Yeah. Right. They move like half a percent or like a one percent move is a pretty big move. Yeah, for sure. Um like they move really, really tiny little moves. Um and they sort of they trade in pretty well defined ranges from what I can see. Um so I've just been trading like sort of like those patterns, like where you like just watch it going up and down for hours in a certain range. Yeah. Um and then just sort of pick out of the top or the bottom and get in and ride it and to the other to end. The range. Yeah, not even breaking the ranges, just trading in the ranges. Oh, like right, If yeah. the, if the range is big enough, like, you you can just trade in that range. and That's true, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, but I'm, I keep getting, like, I'm, my entries are sloppy, so it I'll get in and then it'll break below for, like, quite a significant amount of time. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll like add size going in, like as it goes below, I'll just like add some more size and then it'll pop back up and give me some Step profit. Back. But like if I could be entering at the bottom, it would be nice. Yeah. So I um, guess that's kind of like a a regression play. Yeah. Because the, the, because the further it goes from your starting point, you add more size in the hope that it snapped back. Yeah. And regresses back to some average. Yeah. Because you basically just like average down your 
your position. That's um, scary. <laughs> it is scary. It's like a like because once you commit, like because you, I put on like like five hundred bucks. I try to keep my sizes around five hundred Aussie. Um, and then because I I trade the I was trading the British pound against the US dollar. Yeah. Um, so like I'm trying to keep it around that size, and then like you add in like another five hundred, then another five hundred, and like all right, this is getting like a big position now. Like if it suddenly breaks, <laughs> yeah. like I want to get out quickly. But like the forex markets are so liquid, like you can just close out a position whenever you want. Yeah. Um, it's not like trading a penny stock where you're gonna be stuck. Yeah, for sure. And there's always like ten thousand bucks. Yeah, and there's always like ten million bucks on on the bid it's just ridiculous yeah that's like one of the stocks that i'm in now like the 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 depth is disgusting like the spread <laughs> and then if you want to hit out you you pretty much have to wipe an entire line and you have a small position anyway so it's yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous yeah that's not fun um did you see the obviously the election yeah but did you see sports bet i didn't go on sports bet no um, so apparently, Sportsbed had paid out uh, Labor oh, no. to win <laughs> ahead of time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> so I think they, I think they paid out about a million dollars or so. Jesus. Yeah, I think. It was so what did they claw that back, or did they just eat the loss? Well, I mean, I guess they just have to eat the loss because. Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, I mean, I looked at I looked at some chart it was. It was like news polls that dated back two years. Yeah. And the Libs hadn't won one news poll in two years. Yeah. Like it was pretty much in terms of from like a stati- statistical standpoint, um, they were like a shoe in. Yeah. But... <laughs> But I mean, so can they, we all so can we all remember back to 2016 where yeah, well, Hillary Clinton had like a 75 percent lead in the polls? <laughs> I know, and it just goes to show you like how off the polling is. Yeah, and also uh, media as well. Yeah, like no, I think the, they were, they were the saying, polls are just incredibly out. Yeah, I was I was watching um. The coverage last night and they were saying on it like we haven't done a very good job to accurately represent uh basically the population because because they had you know they were so far out on the on the polling and and sort of their bias as well do you know how they do the news polls is it like a phone call or? yeah i've i've heard it's a phone call but so they, I mean, I'm that just sure they... seems like that's going to go wrong. <clears throat> yeah, well, I think that the left is louder than the right. So I feel as though the left would be more likely to take a phone call and say they are backing a particular side. Yeah. I don't know if that's... That's just my thought on it. But yeah, like... they, they, they basically yeah. call you up and they say, do you want to participate in a poll and it's like yeah yes no and then they take your answer yeah it just seems seems maybe at some point in time that would have been a good a good way to do it but it doesn't i don't think it would be like who has time to take a, a phone call 
Yeah. Like if I get a phone call and I and I hear it's like anybody that's not someone I know <laughs> or a phone call I'm expecting, I just hang up. I don't even pick up if it's if it's not the area code that I'm in. Yeah. And or it's out of state, like I won't pick it up. Just to, to yeah. even start with. Like Yeah, no, it's, it's um like I, I'll pick up I'll pick up the calls because like obviously I, I send resumes around and whatnot and I just I never know. Yeah. Um but if I like as soon as I hear it's some sort of um like promotional thing or survey or whatever, I just hang up. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. So yeah, I think the people it. who have time for it maybe like go one way and it might not even be that the people who have time for it go one way it just could literally be like how many people are they calling are they calling 10 people like even like calling 100 people like it's not yeah Yeah. so still to not to not win one uh yeah that is pretty big yeah i i thought labor was gonna win it um yeah well i was when i was watching they were saying they were calling for labor majority yeah and then which the uh, channel were you watching uh it was channel 10 okay yeah uh, <laughs> with will lead <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he got very quiet towards the end there yeah i did enjoy that <laughs> um yeah no it was it was it was good to watch um it was it was yeah i guess they the shift in sentiment from both sides as they sort of swung and then slowly realized that they weren't going to be able to do it. Yeah. Like Sam Dastiari, <laughs> he was basically like, I'm white. If it wasn't for all this foundation, like <laughs> I'd be white. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get too wrapped up in it. Um, like I had it on for a little bit and then went out and I came back and I was just kind of, oh, I'll just follow it on my phone. Um, yeah. And I watched a movie. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I went to bed and it was like, like, I think the, I went to bed and I was watching the Guardians um, updates on my phone. Yep. And they were all different. So I don't know what, like, what it actually was. But I think the, the Libs had it by like, they were 73 to 64 or something. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah they're, they're going to win it. They've got it, yeah. Um, and yeah, I went to bed. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going to stay up and wait for speeches or what, whatever. <laughs> um, there was something else actually in the news as well, not related to the election, but have you read into much about Huawei? Um, a little bit. I don't remember anything coming up this week. What, what was in the news this week? Uh, it was just talks of blocking their 5G. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because that's already I... gone through, hasn't it? The block, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was more of a a recap sort of discussion around the impact of like how this is going to play out, basically. Yeah. In um, terms of yeah, the context of the trade war, the A Triple C is screwed up massively. Do you um, know on the Vodafone TPG merger? Yeah, who's providing our five G? I don't know. Someone told me it was Optus, but I'm not sure. Um, like, well, I don't I know, know who's that... going to provide the actual infrastructure. I know Telstra are definitely building it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the way it's 
from what I from what I've seen, at least in um, like from I've been following the Vodafone TPG merger, and it looks like everyone's building their own. Hmm. That doesn't um, seem very efficient. No, it doesn't. Uh, but they run their separate mobile networks anyway, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, they're building all building their own stuff, and um, that's why Huawei. I mean, not Huawei, TPG um, pulled out because they were using Huawei equipment. Yeah, right. Um, and then they're not. So they cancelled their plans. Um, and that's what the big hoo-ha is about over the merger <coughs> now because the C blocked the merger mm. based on the fact that it would decrease competition. Which is but, yeah, which is a bit silly because they're not Vodafone and TPG aren't competitors right now. Um, yeah. And the I I kind of get the ACCC's argument that by blocking the merger, it would give uh, TPG a reason to get into the mobile space. Yeah. Like I kind of get that argument. But then I was reading an argument the other day, uh, I think it was in the AFR, that the um, basically the timing of, of the <laughs> 5G rollout is too close now. So you can't have... Um, basically, TPG would have to start from zero again. And by the time they roll out, it's... It would have been several years it's with too late. Telstra yeah. and everyone, and so there's just no business case for them to enter the mobile space now because yeah. they had the big knockback. Damn. Yeah, which is a bit. Um, I don't know it's going to go through the courts, and I think in the end, I, I think the merger has to go through. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's just going to be a, a long one, and I feel sorry for for everyone who worked on the deal, and it's just been knocked back like this. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was interesting reading about the Huawei stuff. Um, from particularly, it, it wasn't like obviously you got all the stuff around trade and um, the the deficit and whatnot, but it's more about the national security interests. Of yeah, the US. that's what I heard. Um, and I heard a good point about it on, uh, it was an interview. I can't remember who it was. It was on the CNBC and he basically said, once you have this technology, this 5g technology and everything is dependent on it when we have the internet of things and autonomous cars and whatnot, yeah. it's when that company is in bed with China it's very easy for China then to manipulate the US into doing particular things. Like yeah. there would be a lot of back doors and whatnot. But for example, China could say, ask anything of the US. And the US being so dependent on 5G by like say 20 years into the future, they can say, well, if you don't comply, we'll shut it off. Yeah. Like we'll just turn it off. Like I don't you know. I, I don't know how easy it is to turn something off or shut something down. 
Like, I don't think it's as easy as flicking a switch. Um, but I wonder if they could threaten to cripple a 5G, their 5G infrastructure um, through some sort of backdoor that they've had. It wouldn't um, even have to be the 5G infrastructure itself. Like, I think computers are such that using the... Because, you know, when you go on, like, a a public Wi-Fi network, like, all your information is basically public. Yeah. Um, I think it would be... You could have a situation where the 5G... Because you're using the 5G technology from Huawei and, like, whatever whatever that technology is, like if it's routers or whatever, or antennas or whatever it is, it gives you essentially like a public Wi-Fi network where wherein you can get into computers. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you think things like or shutting off electricity to critical places or uh, shutting down train lines or whatever, not, not necessarily just shutting down the, the 5G network, um, but shutting down critical services to cities yeah. is like... That could be I, done. Yeah. I just think, like, I'm obviously not too well read into it, but I just think there's a there's a big leverage that they can have once they have that technology in that country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's it's something that the the current sort of attitude of the U.S. in comparison becoming completely isolationist and being so combative is I think going to be dangerous for them to do because going into the future, there's just no option other than using Chinese equipment. Yeah. And if it's Huawei or if it's another company that it's going to come from China and the reality is they're going to have that power unless the U S is going to turn around and start, actually manufacturing stuff on there like in the u.s suddenly yeah they're just just going to be beholden to china no matter what and so i and in that in that world we need to look towards global solutions to stuff rather than everyone just taking care of themselves yeah and i mean the the one of the scary things that i've seen in one of these interviews because i binged quite a bit of them yeah one guy mentioned uh, basically China doesn't have the ability to feed its population. Like it imports a lot of food. Yeah. And it was talked about as if you could cut the food off as leverage. Yeah. And that starts to sound like an actual war. Like if you think of a medieval siege where they surround the, the castle and the gates and yeah. whatnot and no well, food that's what happened in. during um oh, what year was it it was not not long after the second world war um and the the soviet union blocked off west germany yeah or west berlin sorry and so they flew in i think it's called the the berlin airlift um and they literally flew in it was in 1948 and the U.S. go and basically they had a choice. Either they could abandon West Berlin and just sort of like 
let West Berlin become part of the Soviet Union or they could like take a stand and they they just took a stand and they went and flew in like food and medicine and water and everything that they needed and it was a um like some of the numbers of like they had planes landing like every like three minutes or something it's absolutely wow. ridiculous um and so yeah like it, it has been done like relatively recently like those sorts of maneuvers in war yeah um, i don't know how like you would stop food getting into china i don't know if they were talking about in terms of stopping the food but stopping the the trade of their own food like okay. i don't think they would be physically blocking trade routes yeah um although that seems like they could just source it from elsewhere um but it was just a shock to hear that as a tactic in this trade war yeah no we're definitely moving closer and closer to actual war like closer than i think is is necessary and is comfortable yeah for sure um especially when it can all be started on twitter that's just that is very, imagine if that's thing. the end of humanity <laughs> twitter and, you know um, i i think sometimes about like everyone has a go at like mark zuckerberg for not being good enough and like whatnot. Right? You think about him, like he was like like what twenty years old, and he had a cool idea for a website he wanted to make, and like he wasn't selected to run like I think realistically one of the most powerful social forces today. He wasn't yeah. selected to run it because of his skill in running no, something like that. He just happened to be the one who thought of the idea. Yeah. <laughs> and now, like, I, I don't envy his position at all. I mean, I envy no. his money, but, um, yeah, I don't envy, like, being in that position, like, because he's, he, he's just a, a computer geek. Yeah. And you see that a lot as well with the, um, a lot of the Silicon Valley tech companies like they, yeah. they just weren't prepared for the level of success they were going to have but i mean it's yeah. lucky that they have you know a good team behind them um but yeah then themselves it's it's a big deal yeah i think that's facebook did that right like they got people on board quickly who were actually able to um run a company like that uh, but like you watch, like yeah, people people like have a go at um, Zuckerberg, and yeah, I just I just think it's a bit unfair. Like the, it's just a computer geek who like <laughs> happened to mistakenly make like one of the like <laughs> mistakenly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, so should we um, maybe get into what we're yeah, talking about today? For sure. <laughs> um, so um, if you, I think we should say should listen to last week's episode if you haven't because um, this is kind of like a part two we ran out of time last week because um, we were talking about macroeconomics and last week we gave a little bit of a rundown on what the different sort of terms in macroeconomics mean and how everything sort of interrelates and then we were going to talk about sort of the current state of the economy 
but we ran out of time. So we thought we put that off until <clears throat> this week. Um, so obviously having the election happen last night, uh, it's kind of like a good, good timing for this discussion to happen because now we actually have some sort of um, grounding in what the next three years are going to look like. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, you had you had the two. They were two very different proposals um, this time around. Yeah. In terms of what their impact was going to be on the economy, like what on one side you had Labor, who had a big climate change policy, who was going to have massive spending, and it was uh, going to slow the economy from where it was at. I think um, the current GDP growth of Australia correct me if I'm wrong, is two and three quarters percent. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I think their projections for the impact of uh, their climate change policy, it was going to slow to two and a quarter percent. Yeah. Um, So it was going to slow under their government, but, you know, that was, it was still quoted as growth. So, yeah. And, and so this the- is one of the things I wanted to bring up. <coughs> um, in so, the point of measuring GDP is essentially to measure economic economic wellness or um, the development of countries. And part of me sat like part of me thinks that the GDP measure may have been great back in like industrial times. Yeah. But I think there's definitely an argument for GDP not being so relevant in a time like now where we need to look at things like climate change um, and maybe not produce as much because that's essentially what GDP is. It's how much a country is producing. Yeah. Maybe we need to not produce as much, but produce higher quality uh, assets, I guess, for like future generations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. what's your thoughts on, on on that? Like that? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that in order to sort of have that sacrifice in this generation for climate change, it needs to be global. It needs to be a global sacrifice. Yeah. Um, because it's very difficult to say, like, you say, say for example, you have one wealthy person and one sort of not well-off person. Yeah. The wealthy person who isn't going to be as impacted by a downturn in the economy is more likely to um, back climate change related solutions yeah whereas the poorer person they don't really they're not focused on climate change as much sure they might care about it but the but more immediate want... yeah. yeah they they they're trying to pay bills they say they're living paycheck to paycheck yeah they're more focused on the overall economy itself because they need a growing economy for jobs to be a bit to be available for them yeah so i think in terms of well i think in terms of australia our economy and a woman will get to this eventually but i don't think it's as crash hot as some people think it is yeah um 
so it, it's very difficult for some people who are struggling to then, you know, decide to vote for climate change and have a climate change led solution where they actually sacrifice uh, the next, actually, I wouldn't even know, 10, 20 years or so. Yeah. I think it's a difficult one because in, in some, in some ways you, people need to pay their bills and they need to like find jobs and whatnot. But also that doesn't matter if we all just sort of die from rising sea levels in 20 years time. That's, yeah, of course. Um, I so think... it's, a, it's a balancing act. Um, yeah. But I think at the end of the day, climate change isn't going to win elections. No. Like running, your, running your campaign on climate change isn't going to win elections right now. Um, and that's primarily because, like, I, I was actually listening to um, an interesting... I can't remember who it was, but it was a it was a podcast. I think it might have been Andrew Young, actually, the presidential candidate in the U.S. Um, do you know what the like the concept of a public good is? A public good. Yeah. Uh, explain it for me. So the idea is that a public good is something <clears throat> that um, everyone can use, and mm-hmm. that one person using it doesn't detract from the value someone else gets from it. So the classic example is a lighthouse. So like you can't stop anybody from seeing the light from a lighthouse. And just as equally, one person looking at the lighthouse doesn't reduce the value someone else gets from looking at the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And so it presents a problem though in economics in that because you can't stop anyone else from using it or um, basically basically because you can't stop anyone else from using it, you can't charge anything for looking at a lighthouse. So there's no profit to be made from building it. So basically everyone's going to go and sit there and look at, uh, look at everyone else and say, well, someone else will do that. Like I'll just get to use it. Someone else will build it. Um, and that's yeah. where the argument for governments comes in. And they're like, hey, well, it's the government who's <clears throat> going to build that and they're going to raise taxes and then they're going to they're gonna build the lighthouse so that nobody crashes on the rocks. Yeah. Um, what Andrew Yang was saying is that if this also works in the opposite way in that you have sort of like public harms and climate change would be one of these. And essentially what he said was that it's a harm. If you go and you drive, you drive to work, like you're spilling some uh, carbon into the atmosphere. At the ha- the, you don't feel that damage proportionately to the contribution you make. So you could have, say, people in China, like factories in China spilling like who knows how much carbon into the air, but they don't feel that in proportion to how much they're putting into the air. So we'll all feel it equally. Yeah. And so what he was saying is that like, remember like we had a carbon tax here at one point or there was a um, talk about it. Yeah. It Um, was implemented and then shortly uh, they got rid of it. 
Yeah, so basically the idea behind a carbon tax is to apply that that damage proportionally. So if you go and you spill X amounts of carbon into the air, you pay and you have economic harm that's proportionate to that. Yeah. Um, and But unfortunately, that's something that essentially needs to be applied on a global scale. And right now we just... Like we don't well, have I, the ability to apply anything on a global scale. In terms of the the carbon tax, from what I've heard, I didn't actually read into the policy itself, but it, from what I've heard, it's it there was nothing in there to prevent it basically the cost from being passed on to the consumer. Yeah. So the costs were meant to be borne by the company and sort of uh, incentivize them to reduce where they could yeah so that they could produce less carbon but there was no there was no uh nothing in the actual uh, policy that stopped them from passing that on to the consumer i think that's where the problem was yeah and, i think I, I haven't read it either but yeah in in terms of hang on one second i literally just lost my chain of thought oh no <laughs> um in in t- in terms of like the global economy, it will come back. It will come back. We'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> ah, it's gone. It's gone. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I should have wrote it down. <laughs> Damn! It'll come right. back in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you think about? I guess going back to. I guess economic policy. What do you? There's obviously been a lot of talk going into at least the, not here but in the U.S. about universal basic income. What do you? What are your sort of thoughts on that? On universal basic income. Yeah. Um. I think it'll be necessary in the future when we start to see, like, eventually. I I sort of start to see the economy going to a path or the job market going to a path where it becomes too technical uh, for the people, for the population, basically, because you have a normal distribution of intelligence. Yeah. And there's only a certain amount of people that would be able to adequately do a job um, as you get up the higher end of the technical sort of scale i guess you could say so i think as the the world becomes the jobs become more technical in nature over time there's going to be less jobs and less manufacturing jobs uh for example that people can actually go into so i think there'll eventually there'll be a need for this universal basic income for those people because I, i think i mentioned it here before Below 83, the IQ, the army in the US can't actually find a job where you're productive in. Really? And that's 10% of the population. So if you think that you just broadly place that over the entire job market and say below an IQ of 83, you aren't able to find a job in the future for those people. Well, 10% of the population is going to need some sort of income to survive. And yeah. those those people are always going to exist um, unless we do some sort of genetic engineering. 
these people are always going to exist and they deserve to be look af- looked after um, and afforded the same rights as everyone else. Yeah. So I think, yeah, as the world becomes more technical, eventually it needs to be put in place. What, yeah. what do you think about it? I think that, well, I think it's interesting that we're, we're coming to a point in like in this world where we, we actually can start having that conversation. Like the, the economy's got to a stage now where we can talk about universal basic income actually being viable. Uh, you know, some people will argue if it's viable or not, but like it, it's entering the, the conversation. Um, I think that it's not, there, there are places, like there are jobs which are going to be automated away. Um, things like truck drivers and, um, I mean, for the large part, train, trains don't have drivers anymore, but yes, yeah, like truck drivers, um, ships, I think, are going to start to become very autonomous. So you're not going to have ship captains and whatnot. Um, but I think there are still a lot of jobs which just won't be able to be done by machines for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, things like, I guess it's it's kind of moot. Like they do, they are starting to figure out like grocery stores um, and how they can get rid of the staff in grocery stores. Yeah. They're starting to figure that out. But things like, say, going back to ships. Um, so on a, a general container ship, there's a crew of like 20 people approximately. And so some of those are like the the captain and the officers who are navigating the ship. Um, and then you've got a, a crew of essentially, they're essentially engineers um, who are doing maintenance on different parts of the ship and... Um, they take shifts in keeping lookout. Um, and those sorts of jobs just can't be sort of automated away. Like changing lights on a, a ship or cleaning a ship or doing all these things. They, they can't be automated away yet. And it's a very long, we're a very, very, very long way off automating that away. Yeah. Um, and then like, there's there's jobs like maintaining those ships like they when they go into dry docks and they get maintained and fixed and whatnot like the every ship is different and yeah. so like building a robot that would be able to do all these tasks would be very very difficult and we're not we're not getting close to that yet yeah so i, I still think i still think there'll be jobs that will remain but it's it's what jobs you're replacing those with, and that was yeah. kind of my argument. It was like the jobs that get taken away by automation are replaced by increasingly technical jobs. Yeah, so we're that, are, that are harder to fill. We're replacing with technical jobs or jobs that are like so. If you have a, um, I'm trying to think of an example where like you have a machine and then there will be someone who needs to maintain the machine. So on one end, that might be a very technical job, or it could also just be like oh, changing the tire on the truck. I was yeah. like, so that's not a very that's not going to be a very highly paid job to change a tire. 
Um, and so it's kind of a weird, like our conception of what gets paid a lot and what doesn't get paid a lot is, is going to stick around and that's going to cause problems because people aren't going to be able to earn enough to, to just put food on the table. Um, yeah. So I think UBI is, I think, an inevitable thing. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily in in the form of like giving people money, like giving people a certain amount of money. Maybe it's actually more so in the form of subsidizing things like food and energy and whatnot in yeah. in a way that it makes it cheap. It could also like, be community service related stuff. Yeah. Like you do a certain amount of hours, community service for some something. Yeah. And you get that universal basic income. I think yeah. there's a problem with it, it. Say if you're to just give these people, say if you're just to give these people income, they need responsibility. Um, otherwise, eventually they just go crazy. Like, young guys who and I, I i recommend anyone sort of go look at um the stuff by jordan peterson on this um but those who don't have responsibility when they're younger they sort of go down uh the wrong path yeah um and that responsibility can be anything it can be family it can be work it could be you know so i think when UBI eventually is implemented, there needs to be something to keep these guys occupied um, when they're not in the workforce. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I think you'll have problems in society where you have people who don't have this responsibility because you need it. You need it to feel uh, like you have a place in society somewhat and yeah. you're not just sort of, you know. So I think it's, it's yeah. very important just for their the psychology of it to have to something have, to do like yeah. have some sort of a job and i mean we we've seen like if you go back to like a, even a hundred years ago like life was so different back then yeah um like i'm reading i'm reading a book at the moment um and some of the characters like they just work in a in a coal mine and it's just like that's just how things were and they didn't sort of like if you put everybody to work in a coal mine these days, people would like cry. Uh, could you imagine? <laughs> it would be like a whole human rights issue. Yeah. But I mean, back then it was just like, yeah, well, like that's what you do. Like that's yeah, that's how like, you survive. Yeah, it's just people. That's... People have to remember, like as as society sort of progressed, like as we went from hunter hunter gatherer to like sort of agricultural to manufacturing. Each of these things just replaced your ability to just basically get food and have shelter. Yeah. Like it, when you're a hunter-gatherer, you did all that yourself. Um, but then as we became more productive, you would do some other job that could be then translated over into food and shelter. So I think it's like somewhat like having a job. Um, people forget that it's a necessary part of survival somewhat yeah where you have to pay bills and eat food yeah um yeah 
So I guess I'm getting away from sort of these more theoretical ideas. Um, you had in this doc a lot of charts about household debt, like household debt to income ratios and yeah, um, sort of the trends over time. Um, do you want to explain sort of what some of those trends have been? Yeah, so in Australia, um, we've seen a massive increase in the ratio of household debt to uh, income. Yeah. Uh, like I think back in, and this has obviously caused a, a market, markedly increase in uh, house prices as well. And I think it was in the 2000s, uh, Sydney, the average house price in Sydney was four times the uh, median income. Yeah. Whereas now I think it's up to nine times. Yeah. So we had this period in the 1990s where we had a very low interest rate and we had lowering interest rates and people used this, used their ability to borrow basically to get the house that they wanted. Yeah. And this sort of propagated through society and ended up pushing house prices up further, which in turn uh, increased Made people's... people borrow, yeah, borrow more. Yeah, people wanted to borrow money to actually get the house they wanted. Um, so yeah. instead of using it to borrow to uh, buy a business or make a business, sorry, uh, we instead use this to put into something that's not productive, a house. Yeah. And, and we saw the increase um, in household debt to income. Yeah. And I mean, there's been other factors as well. Like we've had, we've had very stagnant wage growth in Australia as well. So even if debt sort of decreases and the rate of debt decreases, we've still, it's still outpacing, uh, income. Yeah. And I think yeah. now it's starting to get to this point where it's this critical point where people are realizing that they're not or soon wouldn't be able to service the amount of debt that they've had. Yeah. And eventually they're going to have to start cutting back. And we've seen this and a really good example of this was in Ireland. They had a similar ratio of household debt to income, I believe, or yeah. GDP. It was one of the two. And they had to basically cut back spending and improve their personal balance sheets um, in order to lower that level of debt because it was going to slow the economy. Yeah. Um, so they, they did go through this rough period of two, three years where they actually had to fix their balance sheets. Yeah. And we've had a, obviously over the last sort of 12 months with the Royal Commission, I think there's been some attempt to deal with, with this. Um, and we, you can argue whether it's been effective or not. Um, I think, mm. Personally, I think that too much blame has been put on the banks for um, for their conduct or for what's happened. Um, and it's been sort of the conduct's been put on the banks in terms of like lending to people who can't, can't afford to repay it and uh, sort of uh, general household, household expenditure measures and using averages and all this stuff. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Like, I, I think at some point, people need to take responsibility for 
actions. Yeah. And, th- and this can be anything, but in this case, it's obviously borrowing money. And if, if you go to a bank and you say you want to take out a million dollar loan and the bank's like, oh, okay, well, you can just service that loan. You're going to struggle. But you're just going to be able to service it and it's going to take you a while to pay off. Well, you're the consumer. You, you want to take out that loan. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's a responsibility by the bank to... To educate um, the consumer. Yeah, because they are in a, a different sort of place of responsibility. Yeah. Because they do have more knowledge of their products than, say, you do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I think a lot of people have placed too much of the blame on banks and not on... And not, like, not enough on the people who have actually gone out and, you know, wanted to use this money to instead buy a bigger house. Yeah. And it's, um, there's definitely, there's far too much blame put on the banks. Like there was some like ridiculous, um, like, ridiculous cases that came out in the Royal Commission where like people gave guarantees on mortgages um, and then were surprised when the bank came to take their house and it's like well you yeah. sign the guarantee um yeah. i mean there, there's also the other side of the coin to it where you see the bank is in a better position to understand what the person is signing up for than the person in a lot of cases so yeah. they definitely have a responsibility to lend responsibly responsibly and to educate people um But at the same time, like people, I think, have been given a bit of a free pass in that it's just, oh, it's predatory by the banks. I mean, um, I was listening to a podcast, um, you know, Michael Lewis? No, I don't know Michael Um, Lewis. He's a guy who wrote um, The Big Short. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's got a new, new podcast called Against the Rules. Um, Mm -hmm. And... One of the episodes was about the student debt crisis in the U.S. Because that, I think, is going to turn into a huge crisis. Um, I agree. It's just, it's insanity that people, like, are coming out of school. In some cases, they're 17 or 18 years old. And they're signing up for these, like, student loans and it puts them under literally for the rest of their lives in some cases. And there's, so what happens over there is you get, you take out the loan and then you get essentially a, a loan servicer who is like a, it's a company that you can call and get, like if you need to, uh, if you want to pay more money, you call them and you can pay more money. Or if you want to, um, if you're having trouble and you need to defer payments or do whatever, um, that's who you call. And this episode of the podcast was focusing on a company called Navient who would service these loans and they literally had a rule in the like in the call center and like the soft the call center software would track how long people would spend on the phone. And they had basically a target of less than seven minutes that they would spend on the phone with mm-hmm. people. And 
like you can imagine some of these things are a bit more complicated than you can do in seven minutes um and so like some of the best performers in the call center weren't necessarily the people who were helping out the customers the most they were the ones who were just giving like sort of a cookie cutter um like i'll send you a form send it back to me sort of um solution um and one of the like scary statistics was congress put in uh like put in place a program where essentially if you if you were in the public service and you paid a hundred payments on time towards your student loans and you're in the public service for 10 years that essentially your student loans would be forgiven Hmm. Um, sounds great Um, and something like there were like thousands of people who applied for the program and guess how many actually got their student loans forgiven zero some it was something like 36 yeah it's out of thousands uh, of like was, thousands of like firefighters policemen like yeah. people in the military teachers i was, I was watching a that a show on netflix um tiny houses yeah and i think it was about the second or third episode in and it was about a family who was trying to put their three kids through college yeah um so they'd actually downsize their house to pay for their first kid going through yeah. college just to pay it off completely downsized mm-hmm. again to pay off the second one and then the final downsize was into a t- tiny house to put the third child through college it's just insane like i think that the, I like don't, that's I don't the next think, crisis yeah i don't think in the u.s how much you're spending for the the education you're getting is worthwhile Oh, it's absolutely not worthwhile. Um, I was watching, um, today I was watching, you know, the show Atypical on Netflix? No, I haven't watched it. It's really good. Uh, but it, it's a fiction show, but um, one of the, the main character has autism and the sort of second season, he's trying to choose a college to go to. And like some of the colleges, like he ends up settling on one that has a a degree in like marine like marine life illustration so like he goes to learn how to draw whales and stuff at at university and and like you can imagine like you'll take out loans that are like hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases (laughs) to learn like to learn something that's like not going to get you a job or not going to get you a job that you couldn't have got without the degree but it's yeah, like, yeah. I was just going to say like, sure, if you enjoy drawing whales and you have a lot of money in the bank and maybe you want to do it for retirement or something, that's that's fine. But, you know, obviously, like you said, it's not going to get you a job. Yeah. And like there's, I think the, the entire system is predatory on these on these young kids who are ending up going and putting themselves like so far in debt. They will never ever get out of it. In a lot of cases, like these people, will never get out of debt. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's really the next next crisis. Like the housing crisis was the first one. Yeah. I think. Um, um, yeah. Financially too, like 
me personally, I didn't sort of have a grasp on my finances until 2016, I would say. Yeah. So at that stage, I was 22. Yeah. So that's four years after leaving high school that I actually began to understand stuff about finance and sort of, you know, debt and all the rest of it. So yeah. any time before that, you could have told me anything and I would have been like, yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it seems like, it seems I like mean, a solid idea. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the, that's the problem, like especially pers- personal finance is a, is a massive problem because you get a lot of people who are like sell you a book telling you not to drink any more coffee and not to do any any of this stuff and like whatnot yeah. and it's it's a minefield really um yeah but yeah i don't like definitely don't i think the situation we have here in australia um on a personal finance standpoint is great where you like get hex debt yeah for sure it's um, lovely it's great um i don't know how that'll pan out in the long term if we do go down this path of automating our jobs yeah um and if like that just like dive bombs the Australian economy or not but it definitely seems better than at least we have the freedom to go and pursue things whereas in the yeah. US they just don't have the freedom to do that like part of the reason why they can't get a good job out of university is because they need to just go and get a job so that they can make their debt payments. Yeah, um, because I think what, they have six months where they yeah. don't pay interest. Yeah. And, then, and they, then they have to start paying interest. Yeah. So that's a massive pressure to, to start doing that. And I think also as well, you see uh, people who get out of undergrad and then I don't know exactly, but I think if you go into postgrad, you might be able to delay. Yeah, I think the payments. You can, yeah. So it's, I guess, there's more incentive to go into sort of postgrad. But then that's taking on extra debt. It is, yeah. Unless um, you get some sort of scholarship, which a lot of them hope to get. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, I guess the theme around what we're saying is debt is going to be the main. Uh, thing we'll be looking at in the future and i it was there was an interesting point by i don't know if you know him uh steve Keen. um i know the name i can't remember who he was yeah i, I watched a video on him um and he was talking about sort of household debt and the australian um, housing market yeah and he basically said that any country that hadn't gone through the 2008 crisis or seemingly sidestepped it, they're going to have themselves a local recession. Yeah. So I think that was countries like uh, Australia, uh, was it Sweden maybe? There was, a, there was a few, France, actually not France. There was there was a few that he, that he mentioned anyway that were basically, he said, those who hadn't, need to deleverage their balance sheets and yep. they'll sort of go through a, a somewhat of a local recession. Yeah. And those who actually went through a recession in 2018, uh, they'll have stagnation for the next 25 years. 
It's interesting. I think that was, just in... his, that was just his view. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. We're in a very strange place right now um, in terms of central banks are becoming a lot less effective. And we're seeing yep. that with the RBA specifically, it's like they just sort of, I mean, they haven't done anything since 2016. Um, and like, yeah, they'll, they're probably going to cut rates next, next month. And again, before the end of the year, but like, I guess there's been all this work to try and like keep stoking the economy and keep stoking the economy. And it's just like, nothing's working. No. Um, and I think that we're maybe into this, this point where interest rates are so low like you can get you can get a car these days for like four percent yeah like it it's it's insanely low um that cutting rates isn't going to do anything anymore inflation is super low um and i saw alan greenspan was um commenting there was a an article in the AFR earlier this week where he was commenting and saying that like we might not be heading towards a crash or we or essentially the the article was trying to decide whether we're heading towards like a sudden deflation or Mm -hmm. a sudden like runaway inflation um and what greenspan was saying was essentially like we might not be heading towards either. Like this might just be the status quo now. Is that like everything's yeah. just sort of like simmering along? Like things have got efficient to a point where we're not running like up in like crazy inflation numbers and then like dropping into deflation. And like we've got to this point where we're just gonna like keep pottering along like this. Yeah. And maybe household debt will just continue to rise, but people will be all right because interest rates are low. Um, inflation is not that far below interest rates and like so you're paying if if you've got a mortgage of three percent you're paying like one percent on your mortgage in real terms yeah and like it might just be all right like we might be able to keep on taking more and more and more debt (laughs) it's just crazy though i mean it, it very well could happen like there's no reason it can't i mean i guess everything's possible but the natural swing of interest rates i would say it's more likely that in the future we start to see an increase in rates at some point yeah i think like that, i don't know how long that would be yeah but i mean eventually... like rates can't go down forever uh, no. we can't keep i don't think we can push them i mean at one point we thought we couldn't push them below zero but clearly we can but i don't think we can push them that far down and so at some point, either rates have to go up or rates are just going to continue to stay low like this. Um, yeah. But I think like personally, I wouldn't be placing myself in a position where if rates suddenly started shooting up, that I would, I would be in trouble. I'd rather keep things, um, keep things safe. Yeah. I, um, I actually went and listened to a speech by the RBA in yep. May of 2017, yeah. just sort of before the un- unraveling of the uh, housing market. And 
from what they were saying is obviously they the the amount of debt um was concerning for basically not the instability of the banking system because they thought the Australian banks are, you know, well capitalized and there wasn't much risk of uh, the banks going down. Um, they basically said a downturn in the housing market is going to affect their profitability, but it's largely been stress tested by APRA. Yeah. So they didn't think there was sort of any risk to the, the banking industry. What they did say was it's going to cause like a very large um, cut in household spending. Yeah. And that's what they found worrying was it's going to be difficult for households to uh, react to future financial shocks that they might have because of the level of debt they have. Yeah. And this is going to play out in less consumer spending and, you know, subsequently slow down the economy that way. Yeah. Um, I think it's, um, I mean, who are we really to comment on it? Uh, But from my perspective, I think that the important part right now is that the banks are strong. Um, And it does seem that way. Like there there were numbers that came out like two weeks ago showing the tier one capital ratios. And the the big four banks here are pretty strong. Um, They're looking at about 12%-ish. Um, so on that front, I think that Australia may be, may be able to avoid a massive, a massive sort of, um, collapse. Um, I don't know what it looks like elsewhere in the world, but right now keeping the banks strong is the important part because then kind of whatever happens, um, at least the economy can keep ticking rather than just completely die. What did you think about the interest-only loans? Um, oh, those are due to take over soon, aren't they? They are. Like this they year? Are. I believe so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, when when they do take over, they're going to see an increase of roughly 40% in the mortgage payments. Yeah, I mean, interest loans is interest-only loans are just a bad, bad idea unless you're um, unless you're an investor and you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think that, Oh, it was, it was perfect for speculators. You buy a house, you sell it in two years and yeah, you haven't paid any interest on it. Yeah. Like that makes, that makes Sorry, perfect. Haven't paid any principal on it. Yeah. You haven't yeah. paid any principal down. You just paid your interest and it's gone up like whatever. Um, it's, I think that that's a very predatory thing. Like I don't think banks should ever be lending lending to normal people um, on an interest only loan no i think that it's 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 that's irresponsible because the bank knows full well that at some point it's going to take over and unless that the bank has i mean maybe it's not irresponsible totally um, as long as say they do the math and they they can service the principal and interest. Yeah. Um, but also there needs to be some, some diligence by the bank to ensure that the person taking out the loan understands that 
their low rates of the, like their low payments aren't going to stay around forever. It's like the um, the the teaser rates that they had in the US before the crash, yeah. yeah, where they had like crazy low teaser rates for however long, and then it would pop up, and even if the bank does does their servicing uh, calculators and figures out that yes, this person's going to be able to service it, it doesn't mean that the person understands what's going on. Um, and so that's where I think that there's some, there's danger because if you go and you take out a mortgage and like, oh, great, I'm paying like X amount on my mortgage. Like this is like, and so I can go and take out a car loan, for example. Yeah. When you go to take out that car loan, you're not disclosing what your, the terms of your mortgage are. You're disclosing the payments on your mortgage. Yeah. So if your payments are a certain amount and you take out the car loan and they do your servicing on that and so they give you a car loan and then suddenly when the payments on your mortgage go up, then suddenly you're completely underwater. Yeah, I think also like some people take out these interest-only loans in the thinking that in five years' time when they actually have to start paying principal on them, they are in a better financial situation to actually service that loan. Like in yeah. five years' time, you could say, especially as young people like ourselves, in five years' time, you can expect that you would have a much better paying job um, than what you have now. Yeah. Um, just due to the ramp up that you have when you're younger. Yeah. Well, you um, hope. But, uh, yeah. Well, you hope. Exactly. Like you don't know for sure. And what happens if in five years' time you have uh, a downturn in the economy and you you aren't able to um, have that high paying job or you have a cutback in your hours or yeah. something like that. And you can get yourself into trouble and that's where the spiral happens. And I think it'll be interesting to watch when those, when those loans tick over. Um, yeah. Like I think maybe that could be like, I haven't actually seen many articles about that in the, in the, press recently um so it's possible that um yeah well i mean especially financial markets may be ignoring that fact a little bit our default rate is quite low currently so it'll be interesting to see you'll you'll see a, a steep increase i think in the uh level of defaults that we have but i don't yeah i don't know to what extent that I'll see. Yeah. You'll see a little. You'll see a little blip on the um the chart, but I don't know how big. I guess yeah, we be. have to wait and see like how much are people, how much are the banks hiding from us? Um, yeah. Uh, like the the crisis in the U.S. was largely fueled by the banks hiding things. Um, yeah. And so but, I guess like it's, it's we have to wait and see. The, the, the interesting thing is that I uh, read was the debt to income ratio was more pronounced in Australia for higher income households. Yeah. So that was, that was different to the U S where the U S had the, like the subprime crisis. It was the other way and around. And it was like yeah. lower income households had borrowed a lot, a lot of money, but whereas in Australia, it's the opposite. Yeah. And I guess from uh, my, from my perspective on, like obviously, I organize loans from for people, 
I definitely see a lot of people taking out loans for things that they could pay down. Like, um, and they do it because they like do it. unnecessary, un- you mean? Not ne- not unnecessary. Unnecessary loans? No, not unnecessary. There are reasons why they do it, um, like tax and um, whatever reasons. They put it through their business and they, um, like, the the interest rates are so low, like, they can actually gain on like tax and stuff because they yeah like the interest is tax deductible and all that um but they've got balance sheets that they could just pay down the loan if they if they need to um yeah. there's a sudden downturn in the economy they can just yeah pay off the loan like that's fine like whatever um and i think that's the that's kind of a, a promising thing um but yeah, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. It's what what happens with that lower part of the economic spectrum, like you yep. said. Um, how leveraged are they? Um, and I think that honestly, I think Australia is doing a good job in trying to manage that at the moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, so maybe that's a good place to wrap it up. We've been going for over an hour now. Yeah. Um, is there any way you wanted to point anyone towards? Um, let me just think. There hasn't, there hasn't been any one particular sort of resource that I've used. Um, it's been mainly sort of cumulative sort of impact of just a, a bunch of different articles that I've read. Yeah. And videos or interviews and speeches and stuff like that. Um, I guess there's stuff that the RBA puts out that's quite interesting. Um, you can sort of see what's going on. And I mean, a, a lot of the other financial uh, reporting as well is done pretty well. So it sort of gives you gives you an idea of the state of the economy and um, where we might be sort of headed in the future and how you can prepare accordingly. Yeah. Like, it, I think it was quite obvious that um, the housing market was topping at the end of 2017. Yeah. Um, you started to see the rollover and if you were reading about that at the time, like it was very obvious that it was happening. Yeah. Um, and people tried to get out of their houses around that time. Um, so I guess, yeah, just if you're, if you're constantly up to date, yeah, if you're constantly up to date with the news and what's happening financially in Australia, then I think you'd be right. Yeah, that's probably what I'd say as well. Just just keep up to date with the news. If you don't want to um, like subscribe to Financial Review or something, like news.com.au and those websites will like, do a good enough job of keeping you up to date. Um, and then there's also podcasts out there. Um, like this one <laughs> like this one uh like my other one i do try to on mondays i try to keep uh, people a little bit up to date on like the states of the housing market and things like that yeah um and yeah i mean there's a bunch of podcasts out there um and especially leading into the election in the u.s uh now it'll be a good idea to go and listen to some of the podcasts that follow that because the economy is going to be a, a big uh, topic there. Yeah. 
especially yeah, um, be... student student debt. I know is going to be a a big topic, um, and UBI and automation, all of those things are going to come up in a big way. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear more of the experts' take on it because, I mean, compared to us, they're just miles above their knowledge in, in yeah. every single aspect. Yeah, because it becomes uh, a, an accumulation of like going through different cycles over time and um, constantly reading the news and whatnot. And that's, that's, yeah, the biggest thing is I'd say just make a habit every day of reading about this stuff and you'll be surprised how quickly you become fluent in it all. Yeah. Um, and the thing is too, it's, it's profitable as well. Like if you were looking for a house at the end of 2017 and you notice the housing market rolling over, yeah. well, maybe you might not have bought a house then. Yeah. You maybe might have you waited have, and you might've waited like, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's all about taking your financial responsibility in your own hands yeah and i mean a lot of the a lot of the listeners would be already doing that already now anyway yeah people listening to this would definitely be doing that yeah cool um so is there anything you wanted to leave with or is that all good no that's everything that's good awesome thanks for listening guys we'll be back next week with another episode um if you do have any comments or questions or anything just pop them down uh, in the comments on the YouTube video and we'll try to get back to you.